Boss! 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 Welcome in to a basketball-focused again, end-of-regular-season basketball episode of At The Buzzer. We're a Ralph Report podcast, as we always are, talking about everything you need to know about CU and everything you don't need to know about anything else. Um, I'm one of your co-hosts, Jack. Over there is the other co-host, Sam. Yeah. Oh, how you doing, mate? Australian. No, that's... Nailed it. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to have later on the episode, we have our special guest, <laughs> Nate Tomlinson. So, and... Jack doing a horrible, horrible accent that might hopefully Nate doesn't listen. Let's just say that. Okay, I gave him my best shot, and I don't think yeah. that he'll be anything but impressed by my 100% effort. And I am going to be self-preserving and not do an accent. <laughs> well, well, the um, yeah, the, the fearless leader himself, Tab Boyle's first real point guard, I guess, is that what I would say? The, the CU era? talk to us and we're very happy that he joined us we're i don't know it's a fun interview i would i would recommend listening and then if you thought it was a fun interview you can maybe rate or uh, subscribe you know one of those two things oh yeah we're we're sneak it in. more members we keep we but, keep um, forgetting to do that yeah speaking of subscribing i love to subscribe to more great cu basketball results after this week boy what a team huh <laughs> So uh, we had the worst 10 minutes in like the past month or so of CU basketball. Arizona State came out with so much energy. We're pressuring, double teaming, whatever, denying McKinley the ball. And Mm -hmm. CU responded by throwing the ball out of bounds over and over again until Tad Boyle called a timeout to scream at everybody. Like he, I don't think we've seen him scream like that in years, if ever. That was rough. I don't know if I would say that Arizona State came out with more energy than usual. I think Arizona State's general thing is to, to wave hands as fast as possible and 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 jump on the ball. But really, their defense, their offense was just as stagnant. It was really the worst display of college basketball I've had the privilege of watching this year. And it reminded Maybe. me why I love the sport. I So they moved me. I thought that I didn't have a seat for press row, but I ended up being on like the first row like on the court. It was kind of crazy. Like the COVID protocols, I shouldn't have been that close. But I, I couldn't really see. I just it just looked like like the the fake tough waving arms around that Arizona State's so good at. It fooled me. I thought that they were they, yeah. they looked tough. They looked to like me, they wanted the to Bobby win. That Hurley. Game. That's the Bobby Hurley defense is is definitely look like you're trying really hard. Sometimes you are, sometimes you aren't. And Jalen I think House offense, is trying hard. Yes. Well, yeah. So Let's start with Arizona State and work our way backwards. So, ASU game was a, a coming off of a pretty long pause for the team. I think it was six days from their last game, which was UCLA. Um, and first game in March. I, I was a little worried, as everyone knows, on this podcast. I was calling for a, uh, a guaranteed loss. And frankly, I think I was vindicated. I thought I was vindicated about five minutes into the game. Three things going my way. Number one, they wore throwbacks, which apparently has never worked. Thank God they broke the curse. It worked Number once. Two, the first time they wore it, they beat Utah by like 40. Yes, and then they lost to Wazoo in the Pac-12 tournament. And, those and then they beat and then, Wazoo. They beat Wazoo this year, and they excised those demons. 
maybe that's exactly maybe that's what Tavoy was trying to do with those jerseys on the road. Yeah, yeah regardless, no, 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 no. that that, yeah. that worked. Our favorite prognosticator Ben Burrows uh, said correctly during on Twitter. I, why CU refu- allows other teams to wear black um, on our home court is beyond me. This but. is this is uh, that's Ted Chalfin's argument. He says CU should wear black for every home game so that no team can wear black against us. And I I like that idea. So I, I was predicting Albert's off of that. I just know I mean CU's performance against teams that they shouldn't even be compared against this year has been not great and uh also it was just long pause i think the emotional senior night i was guaranteed i thought they were gonna come out flat and stay flat uh and they definitely came out flat and then god i was wrong i was wrong after that because one person definitely did not stay flat yeah so so going back to last week's podcast you guys are saying it would be an ugly game i agreed with you but me who's been predicting everything right this season uh, I said McKinley Wright would not let them lose in his last game in the CU Event Center. And he was fucking phenomenal. So good. He is just putting together his best game of the season every week, twice a week even. And he had, what, like 20-something points or like 17 points in the second half or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, he said something interesting after the UCLA game on his post game, which is the senior night. He said something that I thought was going to be it was less emotional, more analytical than I thought it was going to be. Did you did you catch his interview after the game? UCLA. No. He, I, uh, no, I did not. He uh, he was talking about someone asked him why he you know he basically went off like he took so many shots that game. He was definitely looking for a shot more than he had in prior games, including USC when he had fourteen assists. You know, he was switched the gear and, and became the scoring threat that everyone knew he could be and he needed to be. And he said, you know, the past few times that CU lost to UCLA, he was trying to facilitate first, distribu- or distribute first, score second. And he said, you know, we've lost those few times. So I said, I'm not going to lose this last time. Under that, I'm not going to follow that same formula to try to lose again this last time. I'm going to see if I can hunt my shot, see if that helps. And if we lose because of that, we lose because of that. But it won't be because I didn't think I was scoring hard. And I thought that was a really interesting answer because I thought it was going to be like senior night. I had to go out big. But to me, it, was, it, it showed that he's studying and, and thinking in a way that um, begets other bigger performances in, in March. And I think this is this also showed that. I, he's, he's deciding that he needs to be the best, which he is. Yeah, yeah, we might have seen him turn a corner. Because if, like, this has been the thing we've been saying for so long, of, like, when he decides to just take over, I know he can't do that every night because that would just, like, break him. But mm-hmm. when when CU is best when he's doing everything. And if that's something we're moving on to this season because every game is a must-win moving forward, I think that CU has a lot of potential in like the Pac-12 mm-hmm. tournament and even the NCAA tournament if he is going to be the best player on the floor every time CU's out there. So his his ASU stat line is disgusting, just like his um UCLA stat line was he finished the game with 24 points, 10 to 17 shooting one of four from three, but whatever perfect from the free throw line, four assists, four rebounds, only two fouls, only two turnovers. And it was beautiful in the second half because those points weren't coming from, he was doing his normal floaters and his pull-up games, which are great, but he also was attacking all the way to the rim more than I've seen him in prior weeks in prior years. 
And um, I don't know. I love seeing him just take it to the big guys, get fouls, and finish at the rim. Because frankly, with our um, with our bigs, I think he is our best finisher inside, which is crazy to say because he's five eleven. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, he's a he's a solid six feet tall. I'm eye to eye with him. Okay. Well, nice brag there, ladies. If you're listening, <laughs> um, my girlfriend, if she's listening in the other room. So, okay, another nice brag. You're nailing it, Sam. We get it. <laughs> um, in the end, see you pretty pretty handily dispatch Arizona State. I think in the ten minute mark in the second half is when things started to fall apart. ASU got tired. And and McKinley Wright kept coming. Um, if you do okay. that arms waving defense, that fake press type of deal, you're going to get tired. And yeah, you they stopped closing out as hard. It. They stopped rebounding, and Jariah Horn took full advantage. Eight. He had 12 boards, three offensive rebounds in the second half. Yeah, and, so you uh, had nine nine offensive rebounds in the second half, and I think like almost like two thirds of their points were in the paint or at the free throw line. They were just attacking, yeah. and ASU couldn't do anything about it because they just stopped trying. And then ASU yep. ends up losing by 39 to Utah because they were just done. They were gassed. Evan Batty turned it around after a rough first half, um, ended with eight points and seven boards. You'll take that every night. And um, I guess I my last question about this game is looking at you, Sam, and the lucky few in the arena. Did you did you shed a tear when, when Tad Boyle uh, hugged McKinley Wright for the last time at Coors Event Center? I didn't see it. Oh my god! I I had put my computer away for the entire game, and I was trying to focus on the game because this is most likely the last game I'll ever cover in person. Um, and I was trying to enjoy it, and then I started writing my recap because I needed to go home shortly after the game, <laughs> and I missed him getting subbed off, and I cannot believe that I did that. <sighs> but yeah, I saw the clip. it was. Uh, oof. I it's too. As someone mentioned he's going to be able to come back one night, hopefully for next senior night. And the collective tears from Evan Batty and McKinley Wright being announced at the same senior night is going to uh, end Colorado's drought. That's are, are they going to oof. are they going to do those together? Do you well, know? you know, I guess I'm thinking about it now. Evan Batty has potentially. Two more years. Two, year, two years and three years if he petitions for a red shirt, which I don't think he will, an extra one, but. Why would he get an extra red shirt? He red shirted the believe... year he had this. He red shirted already the year he had the stroke. Was that his freshman year where he lost a year of eligibility where he couldn't play? Did that count as a red shirt? Yeah. No, that, that counted as okay. a red shirt. Okay. Well, then never mind. He has, well, he could technically have two years left if he wanted to, and I'm sure he wants to stay in Boulder as long as possible. But I, oh, man, I don't know. I mean, you know, everyone says this about McKinley Wright, including Ted Boyle, but he started, what was it, 125 out of 126 available games. Um, the one being oh, and anger. The, yeah, I was about to say Ted that. Boyle. Yeah, Ted benched every starter because he was pissed at their energy levels in practice. Right, but, you know, that's the game that McKinley Wright got in a 30-point, 10-assist, 10, 9-board 10 game against South Dakota State off the bench. So That was the game? Yeah. Oh, wow. So it's like, you know, everything that we could say about McKinley has already been said. You know, we all know he's a legend, and we got to watch his last game. He got to go out on a three-game win streak against the two other best teams in the Pac-12. Um, and I, I don't know. I think it's it, – we've said everything we'd say about his current 
standing. And I think what's, what's strange is we're definitely going to feel his loss and how important he was in the next few years when there's going to be not a all-world player at point guard and <laughs> NCU. It just it, – you can't replace him like that. Yeah, I don't even want to think about it. Well, yes. So as, as some, some people might say in the near future on this podcast, definitely – why we think about next year because it's what we do as fans but um i mean shit enjoy this this team now because uh 20 and 7 in this regular season is unbelievable sam that makes how many eight 21 seasons for tad i don't know off the top of my head that makes eight 21 seasons for tad out of 12 in this school's history and also done in the regular season which is crazy ap ranked for the second week in a row moved up to 23rd this year um, thing is legit, and they get a nice draw in the Pac-12 tournament, which is my segue. Yeah, yeah. So we are going to play the winner of Stanford in California. Um, I know we lost to Cal earlier this year, but I'm they're so not scared. very good. I'm so scared. They're not. They're not good. They. I don't think they'd get us again because CU would adjust because they were like sleepwalking through that game and just getting bodied on every chance. And Matt Bradley just bullied everybody. Uh, that just sucked. And then so, uh, Stanford, who's the the better team? They are. They have been playing their last four games. They've lost their last four without Oscar da Silva, and that's a huge deal because if Oscar da Silva's out, they have like zero chance. Just in general. Yeah, he's their whole team. He's he's super super good. Um, and this injury, I think, definitely pulled him out of the Pac-12 Player of the Year race for good. Even though he already wasn't, you know, uh, a front runner. I, I figured still it out by the third. way. I figured out why I love Matt Bradley so much. He is a lefty that's bigger on the wing that uses that constantly to look only for his shot. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I want Deshaun Schwartz mentality to be all the time. And that's I think yeah, why I love Matt Bradley. Matt so Bradley's much. like 230 pounds. Yeah, but Deshaun Schwartz can still pull. I mean, for instance, good as I guess reverse segue back against ASU, they're playing three guards <laughs> every time. Deshaun Schwartz, yeah. McKinley Wright post up is, I guess, now the best offensive play in the Pac-12. But Deshaun Schwartz should also be able to back someone down and get a nice lefty post post shot because people and he number did that one, like what once or twice against ASU, and immediately yeah, and got foul a, calls. Yes, and he did a few times against USC when they had a guy that was also a little small. So I, I don't know. It, I, Number one, I don't think guards like playing post defense that often. And number two, I think guards don't really know how to defend against a lefty in the post either. I think that's a natural going mm-hmm. over your right shoulder is something that's not used. Like people aren't used to defending in the post like that. I think it gets in better angles. And I think, he, I don't know. I think that aggression at this point, it's just not there. And that's not who he is. And it's my fault for trying to make him that person. Yeah. So focusing on the team that is instead of the team that could be. <laughs> Do you how what do you think CU's chances are in the tournament? I I think that they should win the first game pretty easily because Stanford yeah. or Cal will either of them will be depleted. Um, but then after that, they would probably most likely face USC, who we've already beaten twice uh, by double digits. I think both times. Yep. How, so how do you feel? Well, if you go by the sports books, they're the second. They're the second most likely to win the tournament. So Oregon, Oregon? one. 
Yep. Oregon shouldn't be number one. They are not the best team here. They're like... You, I, if I did nickel for every time someone said, Dana Allman peaking in March, and it's and I guess peaking is a word for having everyone finally COVID safe because they'd already ran through your program twice. So, I you know. Can I go on a tangent? Yeah. I am annoyed that Oregon won the Pac-12. I would have rathered USC win it than Oregon. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But... um. So obviously COVID, the having COVID pauses was really unfortunate, but it fucking worked out for Oregon just fine. Mm-hmm. They were playing really poorly when they went on break. And mm-hmm. then right when they come back, everything starts clicking together. They lost a couple games on their schedule. They ended up being two, like two losses ahead of CU in the standings and half a game back are over USC. They didn't play at Arizona State or Arizona State at home doesn't matter, but they dodged a road game against UCLA, and it's just frustrating that they they didn't play games when they were struggling, and then they skipped a few games that could have hurt them. And I just think that they benefited from that, especially with the transfers too. Having more games later in the season is always going to be better for Dana Altman. Yeah, and now Chris Duarte is probably the favorite to win player of the year, especially if they win the tournament. Oh, no, he should not win player of the year. I, Holy I'm shit, telling you, no. I, I'm, I'm okay. Well, hopefully not. But anyways, they're the odds on favorite. He's and, worse uh, at basketball. He's just not as good at basketball <laughs> as Evan Mobley or right. McKinley Wright. I, I actually was about to say I have Oscar De Silva third on my ballot over Chris Duarte anyway because I think Oscar De Silva is better. Yeah, well, so yeah, you're you're basically you are acting like a Illinois fan, which is a right this year, which is a weird change of me to go on. But they are similarly saying that the only reason that Michigan played the Big Ten is because um, Michigan they played dodged, last they games. dodged Illinois. They well dodged as in were put on state Until, mandated yes. lockdown, yes, and then couldn't play Illinois. <laughs> uh, they dodged and, them. So, but and, and then Illinois crushed them later in the year. Illinois has the most wins, but they have more losses. Michigan only has two conference losses now, um, now that Michigan State beat them. But they're also similarly saying, uh, how how possibly could could anyone other than Io be, be player of the year? Look how great he was, or look how good Kofi Coburn was. Hunter Dickinson isn't that great, and I mean. It's crazy because to me, it's like Luca Garza. Ha- like it has to be Luca Garza. It oh no, it's good. it has to be Luca Garza. I I, I am an Ao Desumu fanboy. Il- Illinois and Gonzaga, besides CU, those are like the teams I'm going to be having in my Final Four and just rooting hard for. Um, but I can't even justify Io over Luca Garza. Yeah, I well, so in- can justify in- McKinley Wright over Evan Mobley though. But I think that's because Evan Mobley lacks the toughness that McKinley Wright has. And I think he disappears in big games. The easiest argument you have is twice now USC has played at CU and twice now Evan Mobley has gone held way below his season averages and twice now McKinley Wright has rescued CU. So yeah, well, Evan Mobley had 40% shooting and nine turnovers in the two games he played against CU. Yeah. So uh, that's an easy case to make. All Riley say- Soren was better against CU than Evan Mobley was. Oh, don't even. Oh, God, that's 7-3. <laughs> Freaking nature. Wow. Yeah, he's too big. He Ben um, Mills us. He did. 
So yes, I I don't know. Looking looking at the betting favorites, I think CU at second is a good cause I, good spot because I think they have the easiest path. If you look at current regular season rosters, if we assume all chalk, right? Stanford playing CU, CU crushed Stanford at least one or two times. I think both times they played this year without Oscar da Silva, easy win. I think. Looking ahead to the next game, assuming chalk, CU is going to play Oregon. Or it's not Oregon, USC, which CU has now beaten twice this year, both relatively easily. Beating a team three times is hard, but I don't know. I think that they have proven that they have a formula. Tab Boyle hasn't lost to Andy Enfield since 2018. Um, and 2017, I think. No, 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 you're right. So there's a track record there to, to be hopeful. And then finally, you're going to play, assuming shock, Oregon, one which CU won pre-handedly against at CU and then lost by four points against at Oregon when CU's offense was doing nothing. I think they match up yeah. pretty well. I think that if you play that game against Oregon, at Oregon, I think CU wins that six out of ten times. I think that they're, they're better. And I think that Oregon, watching them play, they are so dependent on causing turnovers and getting out on the break that if you can handle the ball at all, you don't throw 20 turnovers like CU did that game, you can beat them and you take away their offense because they can't do much in the half court. They're so streaky. Yeah, so that's a game that, looking back to what we were talking about, that's a game that McKinley Wright would look at now and say, I need to take over sooner or, or think to himself, mm-hmm. I need to be more aggressive hunting my shot as soon as possible, because I, I don't know. I think he figured out that he can probably beat Chris Duarte in a foot race on the press, and he, he would be able to, to feast if he was in that mindset. So overall, I can see the path for CU pretty easily. I don't think they're going to win. I think they're probably going to make it. I, I don't know. That USC game scares me. Beating a team three times is hard. So that, to me, is the biggest roadblock, and I don't know if I can – so so Ken Pomeroy just Ken Pomeroy just tweeted a metric of uh, the beating a team three times and he looked at the teams that were two and zero and in the third game the teams that won I think they had like a seventy percent winning percentage. Um, hmm. So I think that's something of a myth, and I think it's more of like coaches are telling that to their to their players like we really got to focus because if you beat a team twice is pretty easy to be like, Oh, well, we're not going to like, we don't have to try really. So I think that's more of a motivational thing, but I am a little worried about USC because they have been hitting, like they've been playing a little bit better, I guess, but I don't know. I don't know. So maybe someone gets hot. Maybe someone gets hot. I don't know. Two things I'm looking forward to the most because I'm a battered CU fan. And this is, this is my emotional state. Number one, yeah. don't have to play on Wednesday. Enjoy the bye because it's the only time we've ever had it. So do that. <laughs> Number two, uh, there's really, unless Stanford loses to Cal and then CU loses to Cal, there's no opportunity for a bad loss to hurt CU's resume. Mm-hmm. Because Stanford is the closest you can get, but a neutral site loss to Stanford isn't going to sink you. Um, and a neutral site win at Stanford is going to be a, a net small positive, if anything. So right now, CU's an advanced stats darling. They're 12th in the net. They're 16th in Ken Palm. 
I don't think they're going to jeopardize either of those too much. And racking up a few extra wins on top of that is really going to help them in the seed line, even if they don't make it all the way. Yeah, I... So I've been listening to some like national podcasts with like and reading some national articles, always looking for CU and people keep putting USC and Oregon ahead of them. And I get the Oregon thing because they just won the Pac-12, whatever. They've won 10 of their last 11. Um, but I don't see how you can be putting other teams. And I think the reason why is because people keep bringing up CU's bad losses, like losing on the road to Washington, losing on the road to Cal, losing at home to Utah. Those are like the wins holding back CU. And I think the national perception of CU right now is that they have just really terrible losses. And I would want to say that I think that in the Pac-12, especially with the double road trips, it's really easy to lose literally any game on the road. I'm never surprised when I see a Pac-12 team is lost on the road, even no matter how bad those teams are. And I just, I don't know if that's a thing outside the 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 Pac-12 to really look at any road loss. I don't. Grain of salt. I I also think it's way simpler than that. I think USC and Oregon have NBA talent or national talent that's recognizable from high school, and CU doesn't. And I think that's easy for people mm. to look at and say, "I know who Evan Mobley is. I know he's really good. USC is really good. I know who oh. Chris Duarte is, or I know who I don't know Infale Dante is, even though he's not playing. I know that Oregon's <laughs> good because they have him." Yeah, I, I think the, the 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 national media or the people who are looking at this on the bigger picture, they they will like they'll see Evan Mobley, his reputation, his name, his number one recruit. They'll see his stats, but they won't see that he, like I mentioned earlier, he disappears in big games. And that like the USC, I think, like notwithstanding, they just made a comeback against UCLA, but I think that they generally lack a certain toughness that you need to be resilient. I think UCLA has a certain toughness, but I think UCLA's ceiling is kind of capped because Chris Smith is out. Um, but I don't, I don't think you USC has that little, like that it factor, I guess that I'm going for. I, I'm not really concerned with UCLA USC throughout the rest of the season. Like if they end up losing in the first, in the second round to Utah, I wouldn't be super That's actually surprised. Interesting. Yeah, that's an actually interesting matchup because maybe I'm remembering wrong, but I think you Utah beat the brakes off of USC one time this year. I might be remembering completely wrong or reverse. Uh, yeah, no, USC lost them by ten. Uh, at Utah. Yeah. So I yeah. So my, I guess my final thought would be. It's a really good path for CU to, to make some real noise. And I'm, I'm not really expecting a 23-win season with the conference championship on top of that. But fuck it. I fuck it. The, I am. The thought is there. And if, <laughs> if they – yeah. <laughs> a 23-17 that's a Pac-12 champion. We're looking like three a seed, four baby. seed, four seed, three seed. I don't know. It's going to get exciting. We're looking no, at not a three seed because – Nobody respects the Pac-12 this year. It's really annoying because I don't respect any of these other teams in the Pac-12 either, but I just want I, – I get annoyed when nobody's respected. Like, Oregon wasn't in the top 25 this year. I know I just chastised them, but, I mean, like, that team's better than most of the teams in the top 25. Like, let's let's see some movement. I don't know. This year, rankings are hard, predictive rankings especially. Ken Palm – 
we're basically just giving Big Ten teams lifts for beating each other every week, and uh, to an extent, I get that, but I don't think Penn State's like that crazy good, and that you know, I don't, I don't think that Michigan State's that crazy good. Yeah, I don't see how Michigan State can make the NCAA tournament with a losing record in the conference. They do have some really nice wins. I, I know that. And I, I haven't watched Michigan State. I just don't – I don't really get it, and I'll be honest. Um, before the Nate Tomlinson pod, do you have any sleepers that you're waiting for for the NCAA tournament, like before we get into our NCAA tournament coverage next week because we're going to be hella busy? Oh, looking and also looking at, I guess, seeing on the conference championships. No, just real uh, quick. Just give me one team that you're excited for. Okay. I, Any I, team I, with a final team four. I'm excited country. for is different. Yeah, because I love a lot of teams this year. Um, I really like West Virginia. I love this team. Deuce McBride is awesome, and he's going to, like, throw people around. He's a thick physical guard. And then a crazy one that I haven't really looked at at all this year, and then looking more and more because they just made a few – uh, uh, player of the year. They just won player of the year in the ACC. Georgia Tech, I did not think was solid, and it turns out they're really solid. So they've got him. Yeah, so they Wright have Jose Alvarado, who's a steel master, and Moses. Yeah, he Wright, just won ACC crazy player offensive. of the year. Yeah, so I that's an interesting one to me because I don't. I think similar to me, a lot of people are going to be picking against them because they don't know anything about Georgia Tech. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I, they're, a, they have a really nice formula going. I thought you were going to say something like Loyola, Chicago, cause Cameron Crutwig is like college. I Jokic. do love Cameron Crutwig. Um, but their offense is also pretty stagnant. And if they run into someone who can shut him down by platoon, it's going to be tough. Best defense in the country. According to Ken Pom. Yeah. Who's so speaking best? of what happened to Tennessee? Oh, what happened there? Uh, their offense fell off. They they started benching their point guard Santiago Vescovi because they weren't happy. Bench Vescovi. Yeah, I like Vescovi a lot too. Uh, John Fulkerson hasn't been playing very well. Um, maybe Kim English isn't as good of a coach as uh as our boy Nate. Kim, if you're listening. <laughs> Oh, we'll make sure. We'll we'll DM and make sure he's listening. Um, well, that's it from us. So after this, you'll hear um, from someone who has much more, a lot more info about this program, Nate Tomlinson. Oh, I'm so excited! What a get! Yeah, uh, he was my favorite player when I was like in like seventh eighth grade when CU won the Pac-12 title. I had so much fun covering that team. That's probably my favorite CU team ever. And I just, I just adore every player on it. I want to have like a 10 year anniversary something next year. I'll probably be out of the country, but it would be really fun to have something like that with Sabatino and Austin Dufault and everything. And so, yeah, so here's Nate Tomlinson. Sam, I have a question for you. What's that, Jack? Why does Ralphie run so hard at the beginning of games? I don't, I don't know. Because she has to zip over to that computer and get brand new gear <laughs> for her and her handlers at home field. <laughs> the premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis that works with vintage designs to make our favorite Buffaloes look great. God, we're excited that they're partnering with CU. So yes, that would be homefieldapparel.com. 
we have a 15% discount if you use the promo code Ralphie. You should know how to spell that. I'm okay. so excited. I'm 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 going to order multiple things. Do you know what I'm going to order? Well, other than everything on the CU page, um, yes. I, I think you have a I think you have an inkling for some UC Irvine gear. Yes, also Hawaii stuff. I've bought Hawaii stuff in the past because they have the great Rainbow Warriors lines, the nicest clothes, just really great sweaters, really good t-shirts. Uh, CU though, they have a baseball tee. I know you're going to get it. I know. Not I'm only do they, get not the have, they don't have a baseball team, but they do have a baseball team. And that's okay, why they thank love you. Field. Yes, thank you. I so badly want the Scobuff shirt with the little yes. Ralphie. I want the sweater with the C and the Buffalo and Colorado Buffaloes. Mm-hmm. I am going to use the, that, that promo code and I'm going to get it. And it's going to be cheaper and I'm going to love it. Well, yeah, and we're, God, we're so excited. Homefield makes the greatest stuff, and they make brands that, in my opinion, are as good as CU, look pretty good. So when they get a, uh, a college like CU that has great colors, great logos, great everything else, it's it's truly a bonanza, and we're so glad to get to share this with everyone. Um, I, I'm, I'm just so excited. That baseball tee is great, and they have, they have plenty of old-school logos to really make sure that, that your gear pops on game day and every other day. Every day ending with Y. Um, so if you want to get the best stuff for you and yours, head to home field, use the code Ralphie at checkout. That's all caps. Like she runs, that gets you 15% off. Um, and trust me, you're not going to want to stop at Colorado. You're going to get everything else. Um, look, CSU's on this site and they got some, they, they, they have some cool stuff, but nothing like we have. So let's make sure that um, we're seeing the best home field out there on, on in the mountains in Colorado. We are joined by a, a very special guest. We're very lucky to have Nate Thomason with us, um, who is the current director of player development for the University of Colorado. But um, as many people know, this is not his first stop in Boulder. So we want to officially um, welcome Puffs legend Nate to the program. Thanks for joining us again, Nate. No, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me, boys. I'm excited. Well, we're super excited to talk to you, and we're going to ask you questions about, um, I guess, your your former glory as a player, and now your current glory as the the most animated member of the coaching staff on the bench. <laughs> um, so, I guess our first question is going way back to the um, the 2011-2012 season. That's obviously the season that lives in a lot of fans' hearts. That was the season that CU won four games in four days, went to the Pac-12 championship, and won. Also, the season uh, Nate Tomlinson got fouled by Kyle Singler and made the free throw to win that game against Oregon. That was the most fun game I ever had. So, thanks, Nate. <laughs> uh, well, I guess that's a good segue, Sam. So, going off of that, this is a, a small question to start off. Your career average uh, at CU as a point guard was 72% from the free throw line. So, I was wondering how it feels knowing that on this team, that's good for the 11th best average <laughs> and on the best shooting team so far of all time and from the free throw line. Well, um, you know, if, if anybody knows my career, statistics aren't something that I really brag about. So, you know, the free throw, free throw percentage is probably one of the better ones. So, uh, but no, we, we, have been, uh, we have been really good from the, from the free throw line this year, and it's a credit 
credit to the guys. Um, it has absolutely nothing to do with us as coaches. So all credit to the fellas. Do you do you guys talk about the free throw record? I remember Ted Boyle said something like that nobody talked about it. <laughs> uh, it's discussed, you know, um, amongst the staff after games, you know, if we have a good game or a bad game uh, from the line. But for the most part, it's, you know, it isn't really spoken about. You know, we, we go and we do our normal free throw routine like we would any other year. And, you know, we haven't put a greater emphasis on it this year. Um, you know, compared to last year. So I think it's just really the maturity of the of the players and, you know, them having the confidence to just step up there and knock them down. Do you, do you guys try to tell Tristan not to get fouled since he's <laughs> shooting below 60%? Yeah, he's kind of the one outlier, isn't he? But uh, now Tristan, Tristan's a, you know, a fantastic player. And I think a lot of the times it's for him, it's just, you know, probably his conditioning. You know, he gets up there and he's a little tired and fatigued, but... Um, you look at his, at his other percentages, he's a pretty good shooter. Yeah, I think 60% from a, from a, from a big guy or a swing guy is absolutely great on, on almost any other team, especially any other CU team. It's just this year it looks so crazy because everyone else is lights out. Um, we wanted to also just talk again about that, the 2011 team, you know, there's a lot of prognostication about what went on there. Um, obviously a really special group of guys. And we want to talk about that team and then comparing that to this team going into the Pac-12 tournament. I think we see a lot of similarities in terms of senior leadership, especially from the guard roles. Um, and then a lot of different veteran guys that can get you buckets when they need it. Um, are you, do you ever look back on that and, and see some similarities between those two years or is that, is it just two completely different teams, two completely different years to you? Uh, well, before I get into it, you referred to it as way back, you know, earlier, and I'd like to just <laughs> <laughs> clear clear some things up, and you know, hopefully it wasn't too long ago. Otherwise, you know, I know I got some gray hairs coming in, but it, it, it was it was only ten years ago, wasn't that long ago? So, um, but no, you're right. It is you know, it is two kind of similar teams. Um, you know, veteran packed um teams uh i think this year um this season's kind of obviously this year is such an outlier of a season um but but some similarities you know some similarities about how you know the, the teams went you know i know i think we were 10 and 3 at one point this year as a team or maybe 9 and 3 and I, and and my senior year we were we were 10 and 3 at one point in conference as well so um, you know the, the conference seasons kind of kind of played out similar. Um, obviously, with the twenty games um, this year, we're able to, to win a couple more games. But um, we kind of took a nosedive um, at the end of the regular season back in you know, uh, twenty twelve. You know, we're in a position to win the league, and we lost three of our last four and, and really limped into the uh, to the Pac twelve tournament. But uh, we'd beaten all the teams that were above us, so we really had a confidence that we could go in there and. And, and beat um, you know, beat anyone and, and like we did uh, four games in four nights but this team's kind of you know had a little slip up but then really finished strong um, you know mm-hmm. heading into into Vegas next week so we're in a really good place um, you know most importantly everyone's healthy and uh, and confident at the right time of the year so uh, it should be a special week um, you know starting on Thursday night what I, I know this team won't have to win four games in four nights but 
Is there like a mental challenge in addition to like the physical endurance that it takes to win so many games in a row? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're, we're in the late slot like we were back in, back in my year. So we'll play at 8.30. Um, you know, you don't get really out of the arena till 11 o'clock, you know, kind of you know, get done with your meal around midnight. So, you know, the mental side of that and then having to wake up and prepare for you know, a complete, completely different team um, is one side of it. But, you know, like you said, the physical physical side of it um, is a complete different beast. And that's why I think we'll, we'll, you know, we'll have some success this week just because we're so deep. And, we, you know, we really truly are 10 deep. And um, you know, to win three games in three days against, you know, really good teams, you have to have depth. And that's one thing that this team has. Yeah, looking back at that 2011-2012 roster, there's obviously there's, there's plenty of pro talent on that team. And then, you know, a lot of players, including yourself, had very successful careers in the NBA or other professional leagues. Oh, um, we forgot then, to say, oh, Nate, Nate won the NBL Most Improved Player of the Year. I think that was important to say. And you appeared in the finals, right? Yep, yep, those, that is true. That is true. <laughs> and, and... Johnny Flynn's backup the year before your most improved player. Yeah, Johnny. Uh, Is that true? We had injury. Yeah, yeah, we had an injury to one of our uh, one of our American point guards. My my uh, my first year overseas, and we brought Johnny in about six games into the season. Um, he just kind of come off the hip injury that ended basically ended his NBA career. So um, he wasn't quite the same old Johnny Flynn that that we all knew once, but um, he was a good dude and, and we had some good times together. <laughs> I did not realize that he ever went over to Australia. Look at Sam bringing in that knowledge. Well, I was following the NBL when Nate was over there. Yeah, and were the Melbourne Tigers your favorite team, Sam? Well, it's Melbourne United now. Oh, excuse me. Sam is all over it. <laughs> all over it. <laughs> Um, well, so I, I guess going off of that, I think there's I think there's plenty of players in this year's team that I, I fans think will have successful professional careers, whether it's in the NBA or otherwise. Um, you know, we know we all know Andre Robinson was a first round draft pick. Spencer Dinwiddie also on that team was a first or second round draft pick that easily was going to be in the first round if it wasn't for a pretty rough knee injury. Um, and I think just looking at this roster, I don't know if there's there's any one player that we think is going to be a guaranteed first rounder, like either of those two were. Um, but we know there's a, a fantastic player that's an all timer. I'm I'm wondering on from your perspective, you know, how does McKinley Wright stack up against those two players that just had and the extra NBA potential, but were also great college players? You know, where where does he fit in? I guess. Yeah, I mean, he fits he fits right in with them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's no doubt in my mind. Um, you know, the the hardest thing and and the unfortunate thing, you know, about you know being a professional basketball player is there's only 450, I think, jobs in the NBA. You know, and there's mm-hmm. a lot a lot of good players that are playing overseas. Um, you know, professionally, um, you know, a la Corey Higgins that could be NBA players and are just as good as, you know, a lot of NBA players in the league right mm-hmm. now. So a lot of it is timing. A lot of it's luck. Um, you know, a lot of it's situationally based. 
Um, you know, McKinley Wright is an NBA level player. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, you know, whether he makes it there, you know, that's that's kind of up to you know, like I said, a little bit of luck. But um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, there's a lot of teams that are interested in him. Don't worry about that. And if he's there when <laughs> you know when their when their pick when their pick comes up, you know, in the draft, and mm-hmm. he's available, and they need they need a point guard, and they need a you know, they'll be he'll be right at the top of their list because you know he's as tough as they come, and you know, obviously, you know, his career here speaks for itself. So. Um, yeah, yeah. McKinley's an NBA level talent. Yeah, absolutely. What are What are you going to learn from McKinley coaching the next crop of guards? Um, you better recruit well. <laughs> if there's another McKinley right out there, please please call me. If there's another McKinley right, um, <laughs> now he's it's just his mindset, guys. You know, his mindset, his his toughness. Um, you know, is he the most skilled player in the Pac-12? No. Is he the tallest? No. Is he the most athletic? No. You know, does he shoot at the best? No. You know, it's just it's all these intangibles. You know, it's his mindset. It's his you know his energy he brings every single day, every single possession. Uh, you know, he's he's truly. You know, I talk about being an everyday guy, and that's that's what he is. You know, he brings it every day. And, um, you know, he just leaves it all out on the floor and lets the chips, you know, lay where they do. But, um, you know, you got to you gotta have a passion and you got to have something other than just your skill set at this level. You know, if you want to stick out, you know, if you want to be an all-league type of guy. Um, and that's why the NBA teams are interested in him, you know, because all, all his intangibles and, you know, how, how good of a leader he is, how he makes other people better around him, so... It's just the whole package with Ken. He's he's been great for us, and he's going to have an unbelievable professional career. Um, speaking a little towards that, do you, finding the next like NBA guard that hasn't been an issue for Tad Boyle. We've seen like Spencer come in. We've seen a bunch of other guards. Do you what is it about like Tad Boyle's program that attracts those guards? Do you think? Um, you know, I, I think Coach does a, a great job in. Um, empowering his point guards um obviously didn't do a great job with me he should have given me a little <laughs> bit more of a green light but um no, he, he he really does gives them freedom on the offensive end um you know, really lets them dictate the play you know obviously he demands everyone knows this he demands you know unbelievable effort on the defensive end and, and rebounding but on the offensive end you know we have a system and we know what kind of shots we want to get but he gives them, you know, unlimited freedom. Um, you know, if they deserve it, if they prove that they can handle it, and and um, you know, not abuse the freedom, uh, he really lets them play. And I think it's a great system for guards to play in. Um, you know, obviously, like you know, Spencer and, and Derek, and and even you know, a skier and and those types of guys, Alec Burks. You know, before then, um, you know, he's a really um, free offense for the wings and for the guards to just go and make plays and, and, and be themselves. I guess, so you were a part of that transition too, but from Jeff Bezdelic to, to Tab Boyle and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Jeff Bezdelic was definitely a little more structured in how he wanted the offense to run. Um, I, as, as part of that transition, was it really just like, wow, this guy's really letting me do what, what I think needs to be done out there? Or was he still, was Tab Oil still trying to play within what was given him, to him? Um, no, I think, I think Coach, you know, 
Jeff had a had a vision that you know what had what had worked for him um, at Air Force, mm-hmm. um, and wanted to bring that you know, with the altitude, bring that to the Pac-12. Uh, bring, sorry, bring that to the Big Twelve at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, th- I think he would have. I think he would have had success. You know, if he if he would have stuck around a little bit longer. Um, but I think what this program needed and what this um, you know team needed. Uh, you know, the community want needed, you know, an up, up-tempo type of team, really get out, you know, in transition and play quick and play fast um, at altitude, you know, and um, and we had the pieces that could do that. You know, I had, I had Corey Higgins on one side and Alec Burks on the other side. And, <laughs> you know, that, that's, you know, that's a, that's a point guard's dream. So, you know, coach, coach, coach Boyle really empowered us to, you know, we wanted to play fast, we wanted to play fast. And we did. We were a really good offensive team that year. Um, the defense took a took a little bit longer to come around, but it eventually <laughs> did, and and we had some success towards the end of that year. But um, he he definitely took um, you know took took the handcuffs off, so to speak, um, and just let us play with a more free free mindset. That that year, um, two thousand eleven, you guys had a top ten defense in the entire country. That's the offense, offense. offense. Yeah, offense, offense. You were number <laughs> yeah, nine, yeah. you were ninth in offensive efficiency, hundred ninety first in defense. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that second one. We'll <laughs> concentrate on the offense. <laughs> well, I mean, luckily this this year's team I think is a little more balanced, but definitely another great offensive efficient, offensively efficient team. Um, and I guess that going off of that, I was wondering, is there have you noticed a difference in in anything that Ty Boyle, even just like sets that he runs from 2010 to 2011 to now, I'm sure there's stuff that he brings in and out, but um, I guess day to day, how different is he as a coach? Like how much has he grown or changed compared to when you were a player? Yeah, he's, he's grown a lot. You know, I think, um, you know, coming from Northern Colorado to, to here, you know, the talent is a little, you know, a little bit of a step up. So there's some things you can do. Um, offensively differently um, mm-hmm. you know this year um, we've really played to our strengths obviously bringing in Jariah Horn was a huge pickup for us um, mm-hmm. not only for you know his ability to shoot the ball um, you know but his spacing he provides you know McKinley and Deshaun and, and even Evan you know to a sense on the block so he's been he's been a great you know a great um, pickup and then you know it helps having older players right you, know, you have some older guys that have been around the block and, you know, the game's not moving as quickly as, you know, as quickly as it does for some freshmen, you know, they, they shoot the ball a little bit better, but um, coach has done a really good job all year of, of playing to our strengths and, and getting, putting guys in positions for them to be successful. Um, and we really have had a really, you know, really, really good offensive, offensive year. Um, and a lot of that, you know, has to do with the players as well, being, being unselfish and, and uh, looking after each other as well. So uh, credit, you know, credit to them. Um, I, so heading into next year, do you not to get too far ahead, but if, is there any one player who you think is going to break out? Yeah. I mean, can we enjoy this year first guys? It's, it's like <laughs> yeah, the no, best no, year no, in, I know. in history. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, no, 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 um, I wanted to talk you know, about, I wanted to ask you about Eli Parquet, but obviously I, I'm not yeah. going to force it. Right. No, no, no. Eli's, um, Eli has been, 
you know, his story is, is it's, you know, it's a true college basketball story. You know, he's, uh, he, you know, he didn't play much his freshman year. Um, you know, barely played a little bit his sophomore year, but has really bought in, has really bought into his role, um, as our defensive guy, um, you know, and, and has embraced that position, loves it, wants to be the guy that, that guards the, um, the other team's best player at night in, night out, and does an unbelievable job at it. Um, you know, where his game's really evolved, he's always had those defensive capabilities. Um, but where his game's, you know, evolved is obviously, you know, clearly on the offensive end. You know, he's taking really good shots, um, shooting a really good percentage from the three-point line, and that's just all because of, you know, the time he's put in to his craft. So really, really happy for Eli, and, you know, he's a huge, huge part of why we're having some success this year. Um, also, just I, I wanted to talk, touch a little bit on your role because I don't, I don't know if I know too much about it. Um, the director of player development, I think, is what, is what the official title is. Um, and, and it sounds like you do a lot of mentoring on the court and off the court, and you also you just help these players develop. Did that get you kind of a front seat into potentially what a next year's team might look like? Or is it more of helping just everyone on the team right now maximize who they can be? Yeah, I, don't, I don't actually don't know too much about it either. I just kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> I just do what I feel like, you know, just uh, – no, it, it, it's been good. Um, you know, coach, the one thing, you know, Tad, we have a really good relationship and um, he gives me the freedom to – you know, to kind of do some things that, um, you know, maybe others in my position don't do. So, um, you know, I'm very fortunate to work for him. Uh, he, you know, he trusts me and, and um, respects, you know, my basketball knowledge and those sorts of things. So, I mean, I really like, you know, I love what I do. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of scouting, advanced scouting. So working on the other um, game plans for the other team. Um, you know, I'm not allowed on the court to coach. You know, during practice, although this year with COVID, um, I can kind of act like a manager and stuff like that. So uh, that, you know, that part sucks a little bit because that's what I really love to do. Um, but I can mentor the guys off the court. And um, I think, you know, especially this year with, with such a senior heavy team, um, you know, really being there for the young guys who, you know, I think it's pretty obvious to see a really, really talented and they're going to be the future, um, you know, of Colorado basketball moving forward. So, um, you know, just spending time with those guys and, and um, you know, offering them my experiences and, and those sorts of things to, to make sure that they're getting something out of this year, you know, while they're sitting on the bench, so to speak. Do you, um, moving from the, the Pac-12 tournament to the NCAA tournament, how – how do you guys get them to focus on the game at hand without looking too far ahead? Like if you guys are like a five seed and you're playing a 12, I know you guys were an 11 seed. So. Um, I mean, we haven't been there in, I think since 2016, correct me if I'm wrong, but no one on this team has played in the NCAA tournament. So I don't know what there's to look for. You know, what you know, <laughs> it's one game man. one game or <laughs> yeah. a lot of these guys, you know, a lot of these guys' careers are over. Um, you know, so the excitement, 
you know, should be there. You know, we won't look over, you know, we won't overlook anyone. I, I promise you that. Um, you know, we'll be ready to go when that ball's tipped, whoever we're playing against. Does that, does that, is that scenario where a loss to, say, like a cow on the road or, you know, just the, the Utah, like, crazy comeback at home, is that where those memories can kind of help you just to make sure, like, if there is a little bit of lack of focus as a player, you're thinking, you're thinking back to those like scars maybe and, and making sure that doesn't happen <laughs> again. Yeah. I mean, that's what the good teams do. You know, yeah. that's, that's what a, a veteran team would do. Um, I mean, we don't have to look any further than um, Thursday night, you know, when first half against Arizona state, you know, we're playing like, you know, one of our worst halves of the, of the season. So we know what we look like when we're not ready to play and when we're not, you know, dialed in. And then we know we can beat anyone in the country, you know, when our heads are on straight. So I think, you know, towards the back end of this season, hopefully we see more of those performances. Yeah, speaking of, like, I guess uh, being prepared to play, I was curious how you got the Tennessee game to happen. <laughs> it seemed like you, you, and Kim, you and Kim English might have back-channeled that. Yeah, well, if if you know us both, you know, there's a little bit of competitiveness there, a little bit. Um, <laughs> and when he left, you know, you know, when he left, I, I just, I had, you know, I just always wanted to play him, you know, it's just the way I am and the way I want our program to be, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter when or, or where, you know, we'll play anyone. And uh, it, it, it just sucked, you know, the, the timing of it, you know, because, Eli was out. Um, Deshaun was, you know, first day back from COVID and all those sorts of things. But, you know, we went down there and, um, you know, we gave it a real shake, you know, fell, fell a little bit short and, and didn't play our best game yeah. at all. Uh, far, far from our best game. But I think it gave the guys some confidence and, um, you know, Tennessee is a good team and, you know, you can't hide. You can't hide in college basketball. You know, you got to play the good teams if you want to be one of them and, and that's where, you know, this program's at. So, um, you know, we, we had a game fall through. Um, Colorado State, we couldn't play them. Uh, Tennessee had a couple games that fell through. And, um, yeah, we, we made it happen. And I'm glad we did. Just, you know, we just didn't get the result we wanted. And did, you start or end the, did you start or end the conversation about the scheduling with the fact that Alec Burks dropped 36 on him, I think, last time he played, or in 2010, <laughs> when he was playing at Missouri? Well, he'll, he never wants to um, take the, the blame for that. He'll, 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 <laughs> he'll tell you that he never, he never guarded in one possession and this and that, but mm. it doesn't matter. We walked out with the win, so that's all that matters. <laughs> Yeah, I believe, yeah, Nate, Nate Thomas in that game had a an ever-important, I think it was uh, zero points, three rebounds, but the leadership was there, and that's what counted. <laughs> yeah, Kim will say he was guarding me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick through the tape. Um, well, I think, I think that was my last question overall. Sam, if you have anything else, feel free to ask now. Are we going to the final four, Nate? Say it again. Are we going to the final four? Come on, man. We, you know that answer. <laughs> of course. That's what we that's what I didn't come back for no reason, fellas. <laughs> I think that's what we're that's what we're here that's what we're here to do. I mean, it's, that's why 
that's why you wake up every morning to win championships. Uh, and uh, we have a team that believes that. So, you know, we'll, there's not one team in the country that we're scared to play. Um, you know, if we got our heads on right, we, we can beat anyone and we're looking forward to proving that. Yeah, thank you, Nate. Yeah, we'll look forward awesome, to boys. watching thank that. You. So, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. All right, Good guys. luck this week. All right, take it easy. Thanks, boys. See yeah. So the Pac-12 just put out their end-of-season award list. And Sam, I know you have much more thoughts on this, at least informed thoughts than I do. But um, the one thing that stuck out to me is I thought the coach of the year was a complete joke. Uh, yeah, so Andy Enfield won coach of the year. And I honestly, I joked on Twitter that Evan Mobley probably, or Eric Mobley, the father of Evan Mobley, father of Isaiah Mobley, and assistant coach on USC deserves coach of the year more than Andy Enfield because he did more just getting Evan Mobley into the, to, onto the team than Enfield has coaching. I just don't get – USC was picked, what, top two in the conference, top three in the conference, right? It, when UCLA, yeah, ASU, USC? Yeah, pretty, pretty high. And then they ended up finishing top three in the conference? So I think meeting expectations, especially with the talent you have, does not equal coach of the year. You, I think, should have gotten it, and it's not going to be Tad, even though I love Tad. Somebody Wayne put, Tinkle. Yeah, someone put Wayne Tinkle. He was picked 12th, finished 5th. Pretty solid. That's amazing. With that roster, unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I don't think there was an easy pick. Because like UCLA wasn't that good, so even if Mick Cronin was the best coach, he doesn't. He's not going to get it. Dana Altman shouldn't really get it. I don't think he should get it most years, to be honest. Tad Boyle was never going to get it unless they won the conference because of yes. they lost some games they shouldn't have. McKinley Wright gets a lot of the credit for them being good. Um, I'm pretty up in arms. I'm a little disappointed that Evan Mobley won Player of the Year, and. I, I get that he and McKinley Wright had just as good of seasons. I just – we already knew Mobley was going to win Defense Player of the Year and Freshman of the Year. Just, like, let's spice it up. Let's, let's, get, let's get McKinley an award that he deserves for his career accomplishments and for his season accomplishments. Mobley doesn't even care about the award. He's going to be off in the NBA. He'll be an all-star. Whatever. I understand why McKinley Wright didn't get it. Um, and it's unfortunate that I think, see, you had to do more compared to the preseason expectations than USC or UCLA or Oregon did to get the attention that I think they deserve. Because I think if USC, UCLA, Oregon was picked seventh, finished third, and then beat the top two teams in the conference in the last week of the year, you'd be hearing a lot more about Chris Duarte player. Of the, I mean, shit, you already did hear more about Chris Duarte player of the year on Oregon. I'm, I'm glad he didn't win. I'm glad Mobley right. went over him. But because it's Colorado and we don't have a basketball history and there aren't people expecting us to um, be what we are, I think there's more of an uphill battle to get that recognition. And I think McKinley Wright is just going to take this and get better, obviously. I don't. I think him being angry is going to help CU, especially if they end up playing player of the year Evan Mobley in the second round of the Pac-12 tournament. And coach there, Andy Enfield, who keeps losing to Tad Boyle. <laughs> right, exactly. So 
in the end, I don't know. It's unfortunate that the guy who's done something that no other Pac-12 player has ever done in terms of total rounded out stats, 1,700 points, 1,600 boards, 600 boards, 600 assists, um, led his team to a ranked finished, finished, uh, started almost every game in his career. And obviously this year, just completely took it to another level at the end. It's a shame that he's not getting recognized other than his third straight first team all pack 12 or is it second straight first team all pack 12 third straight and he was honorable mention his freshman year so i think that's where they're considering his career award but it, to me it, it's still a little lacking after what he meant to this team so i don't know annoying yeah i'm also a little annoyed that uh sixth man of the year did not go to dry horn because he was ineligible for it he was ineligible he started nine of 20 games when dallas was hurt yeah yeah but but in the NBA, you have to start just fewer than half your games to be eligible. And I don't know why they don't just have the same rule. Because, like, Benedict Mathurin wasn't eligible either. That's why Jordan Brown won it at Arizona. Which is a joke, also. I, I didn't understand. Yeah. I, I thought there was better actually eligible six men you could look mm-hmm. at. But I don't know. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of strange. So, yeah. I. But... Do you have any qualms with uh, the the first team and second team all pack twelve? Because I d- I do. Well, I think your starting five or whatever you want to call it, like the actual first five for the all pack twelve team, is pretty much set in stone. And I think it was a really good. I mean, it made sense. Um, you have so Evan that would Mobley. be go ahead. Okay, so it'd be yeah, Mobley, McKinley, Wright, Chris Duarte, Oscar De Silva, and then who's your fifth? Because I had somebody who wasn't even on first team. Uh, I would either say Jay McKenzie or maybe maybe Timmy Allen. Really? I don't know. I love Tiger Campbell, but he, he's the same. If we're doing a starting five, he's the same as McKinley Gray. I think um, Eugene Amarui would have been that fifth person. I can't do that. Um, he flops too much. <laughs> I, I had Jaime Jaquez on my first team. On my first first team, like my top five. Right. But you love Hamayak. Because I, I think love he's, Yes. I think he's UCLA's best player. And I think that he should have been on there. But he was second team. Like, he didn't even make the top 10 players. And I'm a little annoyed about that. I think that he's much, much, much better at basketball than Timmy Allen. And that would be my tiebreaker. Okay. All right. Timmy Allen is, uh, I don't know. I, I disagree with that. I really like Timmy Allen. Because I think it's insane how good he is. Despite the fact that everyone knows he can't shoot. Um, I I think that's why I don't like him. That's why maybe that's why I love him because the three point line is a joke. So um, I don't know. I I actually really like the, the ten they settled on. I think Remy Martin was a career like here you go his first team because I do not think even if he was scoring that much his team didn't win and he was so inefficient most of the year. I don't think oh, he was worth it. Remy Martin, yeah, yeah. He he heated up at the end of the year, and that's really love- it. Yeah, I would have loved to see Matt Bradley take his spot um, because I love Matt Bradley. But he was and he was injured Hummel. for a lot of the year. Yeah, yes, Matt Bradley was yeah. injured. I, I um, think Hawkes is a good spot to take him. But anyways, I think it's a pretty good overall list. Yeah, I, I I'm happy for Ethan Thompson too. Finally making the All Pac-12 in his fourth year. I'm glad he's gone. Is I hated playing the Thompson brothers. Well, I mean, too long for McKinley. CU swept Oregon State this year, so it was okay. Yeah. I, moving to the honorable mentions too, I thought Noah Williams deserved a spot in the second team. I put him on my um, team. 
I thought Jariah Horn deserved a spot. In yeah, I, I'm shocked Evan Batty got the honorable mention votes and not Jariah Horn. Because I think Jariah Horn definitely proved he was more valuable down the stretch, at least the way this team plays. Um, yeah, I mean, he was the most efficient scoring player in the Pac-12. Yeah, and everything else I'm, I'm okay with. Jaden Delaire, whatever. Quade Green, whatever. Tabellus, I don't like, but whatever. Um, Quade Green Tajidi sucks. was great. Love Tajidi. Isaac Bonton, super fun guy. Loved Isaac Bonton. Um, freshman team, uh, no surprise. Jabari Walker from CU made the, the, the top five. I thought that um, was a surprise. I didn't think so. Is that your Williams? I, I think thought the only guy that you could no, put ahead of him. I think that your perception is that your Williams, he wasn't that good this season. Right. Well, yes, but he was the only I, one that even played enough. I mean, Deshaun Jackson played every game, but not enough minutes. I don't think. And Bagley and Josh Christopher, Christopher was pretty good. Yeah, but then he, he, he missed, stopped playing. <laughs> yeah, he stopped playing. He missed six games, but like so did Jabari Walker. I was just surprised. I didn't Jabari think Jabari Walker would make it, but I, I'm very happy he did. Um, I think those are two different reasons why they they're, they stopped playing. I think Josh Christopher is maybe hurt, but I also think he decided to, uh, to leave. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that ASU, what are they doing right now? Are they? Oh, they're losing to Washington State right now in the second half. Um, oh, I hope they so lose. Finally, let's let's get to the all defensive team. I actually do have a qualm about this. I wanted McKinley Wright over Eli Parquet. If you're going to pick one CU player, give McKinley Wright the the three straight off all defensive team awards, please. This is, I think the team the team is perfect. I think it was the easiest. Like having uh, De Silva, Duarte, Haquez, Mobley. That's all. The all those are four very easy picks. And then the fifth pick is just who you prefer between Parquet and McKinley. I think I think Parquet is a better defender, so I'm. I think I'm, he uh, is good. too, but I think I want McKinley Wright's legacy to be more cemented. And I also think McKinley Wright, as an all-model defender, is better than Duarte easily. So, mm. I think that's interesting because Duarte, like Oregon's whole offense, is basically shaped around them causing turnovers on defense, where Duarte is a yes. fucking menace. He's really good at that. And I right. think that he's more valuable defensively because of that than McKinley is. So, the, yeah, this gets into how we value a player. I think Duarte fits his system way better than McKinley Wright would fit his system. But I think that McKinley Wright, if you need someone to lock someone down one-on-one, I would much rather have Ken. Yeah, so, but those are different aspects of being good at defense. I uh, Well, yes. I guess I would consider on-ball defense to be more important than havoc defense. but Than help defense? That's, maybe that would probably change if I was an Oregon fan. Because I, I tend to be a help defense kind of guy. Well, then Tyler Bay and Audrey Robeson are your heroes. Or or Jaime Jaquez. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm happy Eli Parquet made it. I'm, I didn't know if he had the reputation, but apparently everybody's afraid of him. He's the only well, player on this list who isn't like a two-way player. So he's the only one who's not fun. a star in other ways. Yeah, his, his yeah, only yeah, yeah. claim to fame is that he will shut you down. Yeah, and so everybody in the Pac-12 just thinks, oh, no, this guy's, like, the best defensive specialist in the league. No, I do encourage everyone. I don't know if, if you've already seen it, but the CU, CU's uh, YouTube Buffs TV just put out the season highlight reel, which is about five minutes long. Yeah, and why is it only five minutes? I don't know. They're usually about 18 minutes um, or 20 minutes because it does have a season banquet. End of season oh, I banquet. think they have part one and part two. Well, yeah, so it's funny because all the blocks shown – it's maybe one is Dallas Walden. I think two are Jabari Walker. And then the rest of the blocks shown are all Eli Parquet. And it's just so funny that the 6'5 guy is beating out the 7-footer. 
He's so good. I'm, I'm really happy that he got honored. I'm okay. McKinley didn't get it. He, I mean, he already has a, I don't think he cares about that award necessarily. I don't know if he cares about any award that much, honestly. I do think he's one of the few guys when everyone says, like, it's all about winning. I think he's 100% one of the guys who, like, actually means that. Mm-hmm. Um, any any other thoughts? I don't think so. Um, I think this is a really good crop of seniors for the Pac-12 overall. I think that this group that's le- – or, I guess, leavers, if you want to not just call it seniors because some people might be coming back – but mm. the group that's leaving is a really kind of defined the conference for four years. Like there weren't a lot of freshmen that came in in between and, and changed their path. I don't know. I, I think it's crazy that I mean, this a was, lot of. This was a very hard year for freshmen because they most missed of their high school. They missed most of their high school season. Didn't join their teams until super late. And then, immediately got put into college basketball. It, it was just a very difficult year. Like all those one and done players across the country, only a handful of them were even really that good. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's, it's going to be a lot of, I think Pac-12 is actually a few years in a row now. I've lost some pretty heavy losses and CU has been one of the few teams buffeted from that. I think we're really going to start to feel that next year. <laughs> going to be a very different team. What? Yeah, see you will. I don't know about like wins and loss. I mean, I don't know if we can repeat this, like repeat this performance, but I definitely think it'll look different. The team will look drastically different than it has the past four years. Yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen because we don't even know who like the point guard will be next year. Like Keyshawn Bartholomew's playing like five minutes a game. Yeah. So. I don't know. I, in the end, enjoy what you can. See you. Please, God, don't lose on Thursday. Um, yeah. And that's it. Yeah, well, I'm done. All right. I'm done. Bye, bye Homefield. Bye. Homefield. Bye.